The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Come on, kids are so cute, aren't they? Reminds me of that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things. I'm going to spank my kids when I get home. No, I'm just kidding, I won't do that. Well, welcome to Father's Day. So glad to see you all here one last time from the Grove staff. In fact, it probably won't be the last time. We just want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, whether biological, step, adoptive, surrogate, uh, father figure. We thank you for what you do. You make a difference in the lives of your family and your children. Uh, I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here at the Grove, and we're continuing in our series, You've Got a Friend in Me. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to take those out. We're going to be in in 1 Samuel chapter 20 here in just a moment. And as you're turning there, uh, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I love movies. Right? My way to just unplug and, and get away and, and decompress, is that my jam is movies, okay? And, and for some of you, maybe it's, you go out and you go golfing, okay? Or, or maybe for some of you, you like to knit and, and you like to crochet like Pastor Aaron. That's fine. If that's, that's your thing, it's okay, all right? Or, or some of you, maybe you like to read, right? My thing is movies, okay? And I don't know what it is about movies. And in fact, I think this, this character trait actually transcends just movies. It could be even TV shows. Maybe it's your favorite TV show that you have. Or maybe it is a book, right? Uh, maybe you're an avid reader like Kristen last week who just loves books and books and books and books. But I don't know what it is about these things, right, that can emotionally engage us. Right, they can even be not true stories. Right, they can be fictional stories, and yet we still get like almost emotionally compromised. Right, as, as we watch these things. Right, and I think about even like Toy Story, our uh, kind of our theme for for this message series. You got you got Woody and you got Buzz. Right, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm man enough to admit it. By Toy Story three, when Andy's leaving for college, I'm a little compromised in my heart. Okay, I'm a little sad. Right, none of you are going to admit it. That's fine. I'm all alone. It's cool. It's Father's Day. All right. But here's the thing. What is it about movies? What is it about TV shows, your favorite character, you've watched season after season, all of a sudden they're, they're killed off of the show and you're sad or you're upset or you go to bed at night and you're dreaming about it, right? What is it about these things that can emotionally engage us like that? And I think it's because they communicate, illustrate, embody, and maybe even a better word is they trigger real human conditions within us, even though they're not real characters, right? I mean, even an animated story like this, I'm a little upset by the end of it, and I'm, I'm going on the roller coaster of emotions through this, this, this animated film. But what is it? It's because it touches and triggers on real human conditions inside of us, right? And so, I mean, you got Woody and Buzz as a great example, right? Hate each other at the beginning, and, and you know, Woody's the favorite, and Buzz comes in. He's the flashy new toy, and yet they end up like best friends by the end. Let me give a few other characters. Maybe you don't relate to that very well, like these friendships that take place. Uh, in some of the movies or TV shows that we've seen. What about like Frodo and Sam, right? Lord of the Rings, right? Sam just loves Frodo. He's willing to do anything he can to help uh, 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 Frodo accomplish his mission. Okay, maybe that doesn't work for you. How about this? Laverne and Shirley, okay? Am I speaking anybody's language out there? Right? You got Laverne and Shirley. Or how about this one? Lucy and Ethel, right? From I Love Lucy. I heard a couple amens out there. All right. Starsky and Hutch. What is it about these characters, these friendships, that even though they're fictional characters, we still relate to it? And I believe it's because it touches on a human condition in our heart, which is this thing that God created, which is godly friendship. And for us today, I think there's two basic categories that we can put friendships into. Certainly, we could subcategorize them into a bunch of different ways if we wanted to, like work or school or neighborhood or old friends, new friends. But for us today, two basic categorizations of friendships would be this, casual and intimate. Or you got casual friendships and you have intimate friendships. 
Let me give you a couple of qualifications for each of these, right? Casual relationships can be very surface level, right? I mean, you don't have to have a whole lot of knowledge about somebody to have a casual friendship with them. In fact, on the spectrum of friendship, you might not consider this, quote-unquote, a friend for you, but on the, the relationship from acquaintance to, like, best friend or you consider them family, like, maybe you've got your favorite grocery store clerk that you like to go. If she's there checking out, you like to go through because she's friendly, you guys talk, you know her name's Barbara, but you don't even know her last name, right? Casual friendships don't require, right, a lot of depth of knowledge, where intimate relationships are opposite of that, right? They're much deeper, Right, to have an intimate relationship or a friendship with somebody, right, it's got to go deeper than just the surface level things. I think that's almost like a, 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 a base value, a prerequisite to that, is that you've got to go, you've got to let them into your world a little bit, right? You've got to take down the guard and they get to see not just the best of you, but see some of the, the not so great things and vice versa. They've got to let you into their world, right? It's a little bit deeper. Well, here's another one, right? Casual relationships are pretty easy, right? Not a lot of requirements to have a casual friendship. Or this idea of just knowing somebody, maybe you just rub elbows at work and you say, hey, or whatever, and you're doing this. And, right? it, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of investment. There's not a lot of requirements that go along with casual friendships. Right? But intimate relationships, right, friendships are much harder. Right? There are requirements. Right? Those special things that are going on in their family, if you're an intimate friend, they expect you to be there. Right? Birth of their first kid, you should probably come in and visit in or, or send in a card or Facebook posting or something. Right? There's some requirements that go along with that. Here's another one. Casual relationships require much less time, right? Not a lot, of, a lot of time needs to be invested into a casual friendship. But with an intimate friendship, it takes a lot more time, right? It, it's actually going through and learning and doing life together that actually is the cause for, for things to go deeper, for that relationship to go to a whole new, new level. Shared experiences, the ups and the downs of life. In essence, casual relationships for us probably are many, and intimate friendships are probably few. Right? Casual relationships or friendships that we have can be many, but the intimate friendships that we have are probably few. Which brings me to the question, and I just want you to ask yourself this, I want us to ask ourselves this question, is how many casual friendships do we have in our life versus intimate friendships? How many casual friendships that we have in our life compared to how many intimate friendships and we're going to read a story today that is, is it's one of my favorite stories. And in fact, it, it spans several chapters in the Bible. It's, it's all of 1 Samuel, probably from 17, 18, 19, and through 20, and even into 21. And so we don't have literally enough time to read all of that today. But we're going to take a look at a friendship, a relationship that took place. I think it's a great example for us. And I think we can pull some things out of that. Right, and to give you a little background on this, the, the, the two individuals that we're talking about, if you, if you were to have not known this story before, and if you were to see a write-up of, of basically who this person is and a write-up of basically who this person is, you would have guessed they probably never would have been friends. Right, by all intents and purposes, right, so many differences, so many different things, that it should just not have worked, and yet they ended up being really, really close. Let me, let me give you an example. Right, one of them was royalty. Right, he was heir to the throne. His dad was king. He had all the privileges that came along with it. Right, he had prominence and fame and all of these things. The other was, well, the opposite of that. He was basically a farmer of sorts. Right, he basically attended to cattle and sheep. But they did have something in common. One was heir to the throne through worldly kingship, through the bloodline he was heir to the throne. The other had spiritual he was the spiritual heir to the throne because he had been anointed by God to take over. And if you haven't guessed it yet, some of you probably already have. We're going to talk about King Saul's son, Jonathan, and the friendship that he had with David. 
And as we jump in here, I just want to give you a little bit of context because this is a big, big story, and we don't have enough time to read it. But in essence, we pick up right after David has killed Goliath. David has done what no Israelite was willing to do, right? Big, giant Goliath. And here you had two opposing nations, and instead of battling it out like normal and tens of thousands of people would die, they basically said, hey, we'll send our best warrior, you send your best warrior, and whoever loses, that nation will become slaves to the other nation. There's a lot riding on this, right? And so nobody will go out and face Goliath. And here comes David, this ruddy little uh, you know, sheep herder, shepherd from, from you know, out in the, in the grassland. In fact, when, when Samuel came to, to, to Jesse's house, Jesse is the dad, and he said, one of your sons, I'm going to anoint them king, call your sons in. Jesse didn't even call in David. He just was left out in the field. Right? That's David, the youngest. And yet David does what no other Israelite is willing to do, even the king himself, even the leader of his, of his armies, his name was Abner, nobody is willing to go out and hear David does this, right? And Saul asks, well, who, who, whose son is this? He asks Abner, and Abner's like, I don't know. So Abner goes out and he gets David, brings him into a conversation with Saul, and there's Saul, and Jonathan is there as well, and Abner, and there's David. And Saul says, who, whose son are you? And he says, I'm the son of Jesse. And the scriptures tell us that in that moment, it said that Jonathan and David's hearts were knit together right their spirits were knit together and if you look at it it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense because if i'm jonathan and i've got all this prestige and all of this stuff i'm probably thinking at that time why didn't i go out there you know and, and face goliath or this idea that now everybody loves david and, and people are writing songs about david and the whole nation is 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 celebrating this victory i don't know about you but i'd be celebrating if i knew i wasn't going to have to go be a slave to another nation it was a big deal and yet, instead of that, instead of the jealousy that he should have had, instead of the hate maybe that he should have had, it says that their spirits were knit together. And basically, the scripture goes on to tell us that basically Jonathan, again, royalty, takes off his robe and gives it to David, takes off his tunic and gives it to David, gives him his sword and his bow and even his belt. Basically, Jonathan is telling David, everything that I have is yours. I'm knit together with you. Some reason, you know, we are kindred spirits in this. And they become these best of friends. And the next couple chapters, just to kind of fast forward a little bit through it for time's sake today, is that, of course, there's jealousy that Saul has. Saul knows that Samuel, the prophet, has already come to him and told him that you're not going to be king anymore. God has chosen somebody else. He's probably got a pretty good idea, and he's wondering if it's David, because this has just happened. And so he keeps an eye on him. And yet he goes out to continue to fight in battles because all of his officers love him. All of the people of Israel know David. He killed Goliath. So he can't just take him out. So he sends him out and he becomes a military might. And, and the Bible says that everything that David puts his hand to, he has victory more so than any of his other officers. He has more success. But at some point in time, the jealousy rises up and he wants to take David out. So he calls in Jonathan. He calls in some military leaders and says, hey, we need to take out David. We need to kill him. And Jonathan, this is the first moment he steps up to his dad and he takes a risk. And he says, Dad, why would you want to do that? David took his own life into his hands as he stood up against the Philistine, and God did a great victory that day. What has David done to you? Why would you want to do this? Don't do this. And Jonathan basically talks his dad out of killing him. And Saul actually takes an oath that day before the Lord and says, before the Lord, I swear that David's life will not be taken. So David's now back in good with the family, right? And war continues right? And David and Jonathan battle together. They battle separately. I don't know if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, but, but these guys are becoming close-knit together, already in spirit and now in friendship and in life. <clears throat> 
David even marries one of Saul's daughter, Michael. But then Saul gets jealous again, and in secret he gets some of his army to go to David and Michael's place to kill him, and they're waiting till morning. And Michael, sensing what's going on, says to David, if you stay here tonight, you'll die tomorrow morning. And so she, it's, the Bible says that she lets him out of the window down so that he can escape. And I imagine, like, you know, the prison, you're tying sheets together with knots and, like, letting them down, right, prison escape. Like, she lets him out and escapes, and Saul ends up coming, and the, and the, and the officers come in in the morning and say, where's David? She says, he's ill, right? And they go upstairs. What she had done is she would put an idol in the bed, right, and put a bunch of goat's hair up at the top to make it look like he was sleeping, like Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody, right? Like, this is a picture that I get, right? And, and, and the officers go in and, and say that he's not there, and Saul says to Michael's daughter, why have you done this? Why have you betrayed me? Why have you let my enemy escape? And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 20. I want you to follow along with me. And literally, as we were putting this on slides, it was going to be like just shy of a million slides, I think. So we decided not to put them on slides. So if you've got your Bible, follow along, along with me or just listen to this story. It says, then David fled and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that, uh, that he is trying to take my life? Never, said Jonathan, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It is not so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you. And so David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. And if your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because of an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. And if he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out to the field. And so they went out there together. And then Jonathan said this to David. By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. And if he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as much as he loved himself. And then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is a new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. And then I will send a boy and say, go, find the arrows. And if I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe and there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. 
And about the matter that you and I discuss, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. And so David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. And he sat in his customary place by the wall opposite of Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. And Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me go and see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send for him and bring him to me for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger, and on that second day of the month he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. And so the boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all of this. Only Jonathan and David knew. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. And after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down to Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. You see, the story of Jonathan and David's friendship is a powerful one for us to examine on so many levels. In fact, we don't have enough time to go into all the facets of what was happening and what took place. But I want to illustrate, and for our main point today, one of the main things that was going on that I think that we can find. Because although there was a lot of reasons and a lot of things that we could glean from this, just like there's a lot of reasons why some of us in this room might say, you know what, I don't, to answer that question, you know, how many intimate friendships do I have, I don't have many. In fact, I've had a couple people come up and, and even uh, engage me in conversation since this series has started and, and, and honestly just say, I don't really think I have any real friends. And so when we ask that question, why don't we have intimate There's probably a, a myriad of reasons why. There's so many different things that we can never touch on, but, but there's one major issue that I think this story illustrates for us, right, is this idea of the cost versus the value of friendship. Right, the cost versus the value. The cost of friendship but the value that comes from it. Or maybe a better way to say it is risk versus reward. And it's not like when we have opportunities to have friends and those friendships to go deeper. It's not like we sit down and make a chart. Maybe some of you do, and that's awesome if you do. The pros and the cons of it. But I think subconsciously we absolutely do. I think we weigh the risk. Sometimes our history and the things that are past and part of our story can be a reason why we have guards up and we don't let people in. Maybe we've been hurt in the past, but it's this idea of risk versus reward. And so I want to give you, this is not an exhaustive list, and I know we say that term a lot because there's, every situation is unique. 
I, I would not even begin to try to typecast you into the specifics of a few different things. Your story is so unique. Every one of your stories is different from one another. But here are some of the major ones that I think stand out in this idea. Jonathan took a lot of risks in being David's friends, didn't he? I mean, he took a lot of risk. Right, David, yeah, somewhat, but Jonathan risked not only his royalty, his place, but even his kingship. In fact, do you remember Saul just called him out on it? Did you, did you not catch that at the end? It's, it's almost as if Saul said, boy, don't you forget. This is supposed to be your kingdom someday. And as long as the son of Jesse is alive, your kingdom will never be established. Right? He's dangling that earthly position in front of him. He had everything to lose. And then we even see even almost his life. But here's some of the risks and the rewards that we face, right? Aaron, Pastor Aaron, opened up the series a few weeks ago and hit on this first one, which is that it's inconvenient. Right? A, risk, a risk that we run right, when in taking, in, in taking a relationship from a casual friendship to an intimate friendship is that it's going to become inconvenient. Right? There's going to be moments when your friend calls you up at an odd hour of the day because something's going on and they need your help and you've got to stop whatever you're doing or you've got to go meet with them. Right, or, or, or you, know, you know, for me, I really I check on how good of a friend somebody is with me when they call me and ask them to help them move, right? Anybody else, right? I really, I really take a look at how much I value that friend, right? No, but there's these moments where friendships are inconvenient, and we, whether we know it or not, we weigh these risks in our mind, right? Here's another one, right? Another risk is that it's messy, right? Intimate friendships can be messy, Right, we're all human beings that, that make mistakes and don't do things, and I forget birthdays, and I, and, 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 and I invite somebody else to come with something than another friend. I mean, relationships can be messy, and so it's a risk that we're not willing sometimes to take that step and let our guard down to let people in because it's messy. It's just easier if I just keep people at arm's length. Then I'm never going to get hurt, right? Here's another one. Another risk is vulnerability, and all the guys cringe on the inside when they hear that word vulnerability, Right? Basically, man, I gotta let, I gotta let, vulnerabilities, I gotta let them see the real me. I mean, I could be opinionated. Right? Or maybe there's something in my past that they see and they're not gonna like. You know, or, or, it's this idea of letting people into our bubble, let the guard down a little bit and see not just our strengths, which we lead really well with, what we're really good at, but now we let them in so that they can see even the weaknesses that we have. And I think Craig Groeschel, he's a pastor, well-known pastor and author, uh, and he said it this way. I love this quote. He says, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through shared weaknesses and experiences. This cause of going through something with somebody else that's not easy, that's not just the fun, surface-level stuff, almost causes this to start to go deeper. You get to learn more about somebody else. They learn more about you, and then they still like you, and they're still there to support you. And all of a sudden, the friendship starts to go deeper, right? Here's another one, another risk that we weigh is, is again, we kind of said it already, but pain and hurt, right? We risk pain and hurt. We let them into our world, and what if they reject me? What if there's something that I have that I've done that I say that I do, whatever, that, that all of a sudden they don't like me anymore? I don't know if I could deal with that pain or that hurt. And then to take pain and hurt to a whole new level is the last risk that I want to give, which I think is a main one, is our fear that, of betrayal. Right? Our, our greatest fear is that somebody would learn our most intimate secrets and then share them with the world and betray us, do something, turn their back on us. And there may even be somebody in here today where maybe that's a part of your story in your past as you've been betrayed and now the walls are up and, and man, I'm never going to get hurt like that again. 
But I want to encourage you that while, yes, there are risks to deep, intimate friendships, the rewards outweigh them. And I want to give you some of those today as well. The first reward from a deep, intimate friendship is belonging. You're not alone anymore. You're not isolated on an island all by yourself. There's somebody who's actually there who actually cares about you. And that's something that we all need. Introvert, extrovert aside, we all need to be known. We all need to have somebody who we know that we can count on when the chips are down, right? Here's another reward, is support. Somebody who can encourage us. Every single one of us needs somebody who's there that when things aren't going well, they can give an encouraging word. And I don't know about you, but I've been through some dark things, and I'm sure some of you have been through some dark things and maybe even darker than I have. But for me, in my darkest moments, it was a kind, encouraging word that kind of flipped me around from walking down this road of being depression or, or, or looking at, you know, the, it's, it's a no-win situation, it's never going to get better, and all of a sudden it helps change where I'm going and helps me get back on the path. Just, just one encouraging word or a relationship or a text message or an email or a card can change everything. And so when you have true friendships, of course you have to take those first steps to let them in and you gotta spend time together. It's gotta get deeper, but once it's there, one of the greatest rewards that we have is somebody who can be there to support us when we need it. Here's another one. Another reward is they help make you and I better. Right, Kristen did an incredible job last week, the wounds of a friend. Right, somebody who's willing to, to have the hard conversations for your greatest good. Right, better to be slapped with the truth than kissed with a lie. Why surround yourself with yes people who flatter you and do all that, but you never get any better? Real friends, once they know you, once you've let them in, once you have shared experience and weaknesses together, all of a sudden they can come alongside you and just say, you know what, I, I don't know if you noticed this, and I, I'm just, man, you kind of come across like this. Your reputation is kind of this. I just don't know if you know that. You know what? I wouldn't go down that road. I've been there before, man. I think that's a bad choice. Right? Somebody who's willing to have the hard conversations that makes us better people. Here's another one. Another reward is healing. Right? Did you know the Bible says, and this is specifically with sin, but the idea is that when you confess your sin before God, you're forgiven. But when you profess it before man, you're what? You're healed. The idea of sharing these things with people and walking with them, there's a healing process that comes from that. That's biblical, it's scriptural, it doesn't make sense. Our worldly mind's like, I don't want them to know that about me, right? I gotta keep the front up. But when we share those things with people, that's where we find healing as we walk through it and then we have these shared stories together. And last but not least, the opposite of betrayal is when you find a true godly friendship, you find unconditional love. Somebody who loves you. Anybody got somebody like that in your life that no matter what, a friend, it could be a family member, but do you have a friend that you can share stuff with and even in your darkest moments, they're with you no matter what? And my question to us is this, and again, I know we're all over the spectrum. We're all different. We all have different scenarios. But if you answered the question, how many casual friendships do I have versus how many intimate friendships do I have, if you're on the low end, if you've got one or two intimate friendships, or maybe you're saying, I got none. Maybe even with those one or two that you have, the question is, is it unconditional love that you have for them, or is there something that they could do that you would then take it away? I want to read this quote to you. It's from J.R. Miller. He's talking about Jesus. He says, as he loves us, he would have us love others. We say men are not worthy of such friendships, 
True, they are not. Neither are we worthy of Christ's wondrous love for us. But Christ loves us, not according to our worthiness, but according to the riches of his own loving heart. So should it be with our giving of friendship, not as the person deserves, but after the measure of our own character. Unconditional love. Right? We know that Jesus, the story of Jonathan and David is incredible, but the story of Jesus is the greatest example of friendship. In fact, John 13, 15 says, greater love has no one but to give up his life for a friend. And Jesus came and gave his life for you, and he gave his life for me. And so when we talk about unconditional love, is there anybody in your life that has absolutely unconditional love? And before you answer that question in your own mind, we see people would probably answer yes to this question and then down, years down the road, there'd be a divorce or there'd be a split friendship. Right? Because unconditional love means it's not conditional. It's not based on what they do to you. It's, what, it's based on the fact that you made like Jonathan and David did together an oath, a covenant with each other. Not a contract that can be stricken or broken down, but a covenant. I just simply want to end with a question. Wouldn't it be worth it if you could have a friend or friends that fulfill all of those rewards? Wouldn't the risks be worth it? Sure, the risks will be higher. Certainly, there'll be moments of inconvenience. Let me paint one picture for you. It's a story that has happened numerous times in this church, and I've seen numerous responses over the year, over the years. Imagine that you had a friend and you had an intimate relationship, friendship with this person or with this family, maybe your family and their family. And what if their world was turned upside down? What if the, the focus that that, it ha, ha, that that family had had even just a day before on putting money into savings and what vacation we're going to go on and the yard's got to get you know, mowed and I'm having people over for a barbecue and got to take you know, sissy and brother to their you know, extracurricular activities. And what if all of a sudden in an instant their life was turned upside down and all they could focus on and all they could do was to focus on the emergency that had just taken place. Maybe that family's in the hospital with a loved one who's hanging on the edge of making it or not making it. And again, this is many, many, many stories. I would say I know uh, uh, five to ten to, to a dozen stories like that in our church over the years. And what if it's not that they're in the hospital just for a day or even for a week or a couple weeks, but what if it's a couple months or more? And what if it's to the point where they literally can't work, can't do anything, they just have to be there? Sure, it's going to be inconvenient. Sure, there might be moments instead of you going home after work, after your 12-hour day and getting to relax and just turn on the TV or hang out with the family, you just go to the hospital just to sit and be with them, just to be there for them. And what if it's calling them up and on your way home, you're saying, you know what, you've got to be sick of hospital food by now. Can I pick you up something else? Can I pick you up something to eat? Do you need anything? Hey, hey, what's not getting done? I mean, I'm sure it's been weeks and, 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 and even months now. I mean, your yard's got to be overgrown. I mean, can, can I get some people who will go mow your yard for you? What about your bills? What you, do you want us to turn off the utilities? You, does, 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 the, does one of your kids still need to get to their school? Can we help take them there? Sure, it's going to be inconvenient. Sure, it's going to be a time investment. Sure, it's going to get messy. Sure, it's going to be heavy because you've got to sit in a hospital room with them and, and, and there's sadness and there's depression and we're not sure what's going to happen. But let me flip the script for a moment. While those risks seem heavy, what if it was you? What if it was your family? What if it was your loved one? Where your whole world is now focused solely on the next step and 
in this emergency situation. Wouldn't you want friends, people who loved you, to call up and say, I'm just gonna come and sit with you and be with you. I'll go mow your lawn for you. And I've seen families in our church rally around other families in our church over the years and do this. And that doesn't mean that those friends are perfect. They can never fix everything, but the idea of knowing that you have somebody in your life that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what mistake you've made, they're there for you to support you, to have the hard conversations, whatever it is. Wouldn't you want that? Sure, the risks will be higher, but the rewards will be worth it. Amen? Let me pray for you today. God, we thank you. Gathered over and over in Scripture, you give us great examples of godly friendship. First off, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came for us, paid the ultimate price, the ultimate expression of love. And God, I pray for each person who is here today, all of us. We're all trying to find our way. We're all trying to figure this thing out. And God, for those here that feel like, man, I don't have any intimate friendships I don't know that I have anybody who would be there for me when the chips are down and I'm up against a situation. Or maybe there's individuals or families or couples here that would say, man, we don't have maybe one, but they live in a different state and we don't even see them anymore. God, would you give us the courage to take a step? God, that we would be able to take our own risk in lowering our walls to let people into our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, so that we can do life together. It seems scary. It seems like the risks and sometimes so far outweigh the rewards. But God, you have established and created us that we were never meant to walk this road alone. We were never meant to walk life alone. We always have you, the ever faithful, unfailing friend. But God, you bring other people around us to walk with us. Sure, there's going to be tears, but there's going to be moments of joy. God, I pray that we would have the courage to be aware of God, are the things that keep us from engaging friendships to a different level. Because, God, we don't want to miss out on something you've created for us. God, we say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.